Okay, so this is a super special episode of the podcast. It's an interview, and I know sometimes people, when they hear interviews, they kind of tune out, but don't tune out on this one. This is going to be a very amazing story. The guest that I have is incredible, and she just so happens to be on the cover of Runner's World, so that's pretty awesome. Without any further ado, I'm going to turn it over to the incredible badass Kelly to give us an intro about who she is, and, and we'll go from there in terms of her amazing story. Thank you so much. Pretty surreal to be on the cover of Runner's World. I was not expecting that. It must be weird to like walk by and be like, that's me. Huh. Uh, What's weirder is they gave me this huge cardboard cutout of it and we didn't know what to do with it. So it's just like in our hallway. So I like walk by it every day. (laughs) (laughs) Where do you put that? (laughs) Right. It's like, we're not sure where that's going to go. Let's see. So as far as who I am, I am best known as being a self-defense advocate. I was assaulted while training for my first marathon two years ago, back in 2017. When I was training for the marathon, I uh, I posted everything on Instagram because I loved taking pictures of how badass it is to train during the winter when it's icy and windy and rainy. So all my pictures went on Instagram and the day I was assaulted was actually no different. I posted it on Instagram because I had just taken a self-defense class and I thought it was really important that people know that the reason that I survived um, was due in large part to taking self-defense. So I wanted to encourage other people to do that. And it went viral. So I like woke up a few days later and had like 12,000 followers or something on Instagram. And I I, didn't, I had like 300 before because I didn't care. It was just, you know, the people I was connected with. So that was surreal. And I didn't really know what to do with that. But I think I have figured it out over the last couple of years. So that's basically what I'm known for. And it definitely changed the trajectory of my life. Um, I continue to encourage people to take self-defense courses and more broadly, really just to empower themselves to fight back, not just against assault, but against anyone who's underestimating them and to just realize that we're so much stronger than we think. So a big thing that I talk about, especially on Twitter, I am of the millennial generation, if you will. So I have a little bit of a handle on social media. You know, Facebook was just becoming big when I was, well, I don't want to date myself too much. I like being a little big about my age, but but Facebook was just getting big when I was in my 20s-ish. I'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, smartphones were just coming out around that time too. The first iPhone like came out in 2007, which is so weird to think about. It's cool because you you can see like the running community is very accessible. Like you were talking about how, Mm -hmm. you know, just posting your runs um, and there's all these apps and people can follow each other and you can follow your friends from worlds away. I've definitely, I've definitely been able to interact with my friends and we've done running challenges while I'm on the different coast. It's been a great way to connect with people. The one thing that I remember is reading about your story and seeing it as being like this runner had her GPS on and it tracked her everything that happened during her assault. And that was a little trippy because you do, you do have apps like Strava and Runkeeper and Garmin mm-hmm. and TomTom and you can go down the list and they do track a lot of stuff. But this was, I guess it's 2017. So it's still, it was just coming around. I want to say with a lot of the tracking apps, gaining a little bit more steam and, and Fitbit and all that stuff, being more connected to what you do every day and tracking your movements. So going back to that day, I mean, 
you probably just set out to do what you've been doing. Like you said, I mean, you're on Instagram, you have the running community, it's a few, few people or a few hundred of your closest friends yeah. that follow you and, and are cheering you on. And, and really you, you get support from that, but then to flip over and have this happen in one aspect and then having that headline being written and then having to, to talk to people all the time. I mean, did you feel like you were reliving it? I mean, I don't want to like go too much into it. I, I know you probably at this point have, have a flow to what, what you like to say. No, I have no problem reliving it. And most of that is due in part to, I took good care of myself afterwards. Well, people made me take good care of myself afterwards because when you're traumatized, it's very confusing. It's hard to make decisions and everything is really overwhelming. And going viral on its own, it's traumatizing. But I think that's a proper word for it. It is. Because people go viral for good things and not so good things. Right. And it could be in a split second. It could be in like, and really in a split second. I mean, you look at celebrities who tweet one thing out and you know, they get fired from their TV show. Exactly. Uh, by the end of the day, all the way to people who, you know, have these very warm and uplifting stories that go viral within a day and they end up on Ellen or something like that. So, right. so it can go either way. And social media and being so linked into things has definitely brought us together. But then also it's made a lot of, uh, a lot of people a little bit more bold behind their phones and, and everything. Oh, absolutely. So you're going through this traumatizing event. And I mean, if we can back it up, we'll start kind of like from that day, you know, what happened? You, you, Like you said, you had had a self-defense class like a few weeks before, right? If I'm getting the timeline correct. Took a self-defense class. It was um, Valentine's Day of 2017, actually. And I had been training since about Christmas. And I lived in Seattle at the time where it gets dark at 4.30 uh, in the winter. It's just dark. And my training schedule sometimes meant that I was running eight miles on a weekday. It was just really, you know, a lot of mileage. And so I had been meaning to take a class. And people say that to me when they hear my story all the time. I've been meaning to do that. I've been meaning to do that. And it freaks me out because I, I always say, I say like, you sound just like me, but they do sound just like me. Like I had been meaning to do that. I put it off. And I think especially for women, I think we tend to prioritize, and maybe I'm dating myself here, but time with family or, you know, a lot of women my age have kids. I personally do not, or just other things that are more fun. <laughs> the needs of others, be it your family or your friends or your work or it's totally other obligations. I think a lot of people are more geared to be like, absolutely, I'll go and do that thing with you or I'll come yeah. and do this or, or whatever. And and your needs fall by the wayside. Yeah, exactly. But my employer at the time, I was working for a company called Real Self, which is an online place where you can learn about different aesthetic procedures. They brought a self-defense class to the workplace, which I was like, okay, they're going to be here. Like, there's no excuse for me not to take it. They're coming to me. They're coming to me. Exactly. And even that day, the class was at two o'clock. I had been signed up for several weeks and the HR guy walked by. He's like, self-defense, anyone? It was 159. And I, I was working in sales at the time. And it's really hard to walk away from your desk in sales because time is money. That's how you make your coin. <laughs> exactly. I suppose time is money for everyone. But like being on the phones and calling my clients was important. But I was like, oh my gosh, I, I felt guilty. I was like, I signed up for this thing. I have to do it. So I was the last person to show up. The class had already kind of started. I was really nervous, especially when we got to the part where we were hitting because I was insecure and I'm not exceptionally fit 
by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I run, but you know, like when I go to those group fitness classes, I'm like in the middle. <laughs> people see like online, like, I don't know, people that run a lot and they assume that they're in really great shape. And you're like, no, man, <laughs> I just the other day can do like two push ups and I got really excited. <laughs> Not from the knees either. <laughs> I can just run. I can run 13 miles without really breaking much of a sweat, but don't make me do a real push up. <laughs> the class was great. I stayed. Uh, I asked really good questions during the class that were specific to running because uh, the parking garage of my work was like almost a mile away and I thought I was being followed. So I asked the instructor if I should run if I think I'm being followed. Uh, and that's ultimately what I did the time that I thought I was. Or and this is, sounds silly, but I didn't know if it was like a bear. Like if you run from a bear, a bear will chase you. So I didn't know if that would be the same. <laughs> like if I create like a moving target or somebody want to pursue me more, like do I become more prey to them, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> no, because then people yeah. have to actually do work to catch you if they're on foot, obviously. Exactly. And he said, he's like, well, if the guy had an intention to harm you, or follow you or chase you like and you ran then he he would either chase you or he'd be like that person is going to be too difficult of a target yeah that's hard enough or they they're like okay they're already like going towards something they're gonna yell out or something that's yeah that's not worth my time exactly so if you're ever afraid it's okay to run the worst ca case scenario is maybe you hurt someone's feelings <laughs> <laughs> um, but they probably have no idea what the heck you're doing anyway. So anyway, so I took this class. Then three weeks later, which was March 5th, 2017, it was my first 10 mile run. And I had to switch up my route a little bit because I had been running in a three mile circle, like for the last 10 weeks. And I feel like, sorry, I feel like this is a good time to mention that training for marathons is like a second full-time job. Absolutely. It's the worst. I mean, I, I've done marathons and I hated it because at least the training, because getting all that mileage to, to get to that level, you, I would always have friends who are like, do you want to go and hang out or whatever? And I'd be like, oh no, I got to go run 20 miles tomorrow. Totally. And that would, that would literally be my life. And people would go, okay. And then slowly they just wouldn't invite you to things. Or they actually, a lot of my friends would switch it up and be like, okay, well, afterwards we'll meet up for this. And I was like, okay. Well, at least you're good with that. But but it is. It's like a full-time job. You have to it you is. have to take out the amount of time for hours and then you gotta make sure you're sleeping and, and eating Recovery. right. And yeah, exactly. And cross training. It's serious business. Training for a marathon, like all joking aside, and training for any endurance race really is serious business if you wanna do well in it and, and yeah. run a strong race that's good for you and, and you're running hopefully uninjured. because um, if you don't train well it's not going to be a pleasant experience for you exactly. and you're going to hate it the whole yep. way. And I don't know, just, just as a personal side, like I love running. It's definitely become like my ha happy place to clear my mind, especially because, you know, I work ER and stuff and yeah. I feel like I'm running all day, but, but when I can actually control a lot of variables, it's, it's my happy place. Totally. So, so it, it is with, with you training for a marathon. This was like your first marathon. Yes. And it was my second attempt at training for a marathon because I had previously attempted. I tried to do a couch to marathon in 16 weeks. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> really bad idea. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So I got sober in 2015 and that's when I started running. So when I started running, I was like totally like alcoholic brain. I was like, I'm going to run a marathon. <laughs> like, oh, I could just do it. Yeah, no, I totally, I can totally empathize with that. I've been, I've been sober for like two and a half years. So. Oh, 
congratulations. Yeah. I was like, oh, wait, I totally get it. That's when I went back into running was when I finally got my shit together. That is so cool. I, I love that. I love that. To bring it up to 2017, I was a year and a half sober at the time. I'm doing my 10-mile run. The weather's nasty. I'm taking these really cool pictures of like running under a graffiti bridge and like rains like bouncing off the water by the beach. It's windy. It's cold. It was like 30. I waited till the warmest part of the day, which was 38 degrees. Got down to the beach. That was very, not very many people there. I remembered running by this older lady with a little dog and the beach that I was running to was four and a half miles from my house. So it was kind of the perfect little turnaround. And there was a bathroom at the end. So I was like, okay, I'm definitely going to make a pit stop. And I knew I I was going to be quick. So I left my, I left my Garmin on because I was like, time doesn't really matter when you're running that far. So got into the bathroom. It's a nasty bathroom. It's like disgusting. It's It's a public bathroom. Yeah. (laughs) Some of those are just atrocious. Yeah. It's probably anything you would find, any park or whatever, concrete, sand on the floor from the beach. There's no mirror. It's super dirty. It's wet and just gross. I didn't, it didn't appear there was anyone in there. The doors were closed. There were no feet underneath. And so I just ducked into the first one because I was like, oh, let's just like get this over with. And I came out, washed my hands. I used the hand dryer. And unbeknownst to me, there was a a level three sex offender who was hiding in the last stall. It's like a nightmare. Oh, total nightmare. Total nightmare. And level three is someone who has done this in the past and they're highly likely to do it again. And that was the case. He came out when I, and I had on my ear warmers, a baseball hat and earbuds. Like I was in, in a bubble. Yeah, for sure. Just kind of like a little oblivious. Totally. And like, why wouldn't you, I mean, you know, looking back at, you know, oh, I should maybe, you know, at what I could have done differently. Very little. I mean, there's like, there's no reason to be on high alert. In a desolate in a park where there's not many people and you're in the bathroom. It's just not the time that you're, it's not like you're walking to the parking garage at night. It's not like it's the dark of night and there's like one, one little bulb flickering or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's Sunday afternoon in a public park. So he came out and well, when I was drying my hands. And so when I turned around, he was standing right in front of me. And it was like, right out of the movies, bad guy had on like a beanie, like a hoodie, and it was kind of pulled up over his face. And at first, I was like, oh, I'm I almost said I'm sorry. Like, oh, there's like, oh, my God, there's someone in the bathroom. <laughs> like, <laughs> it surprised me. And then my brain kind of went through like, okay, this is not a woman. This is a man. And then the smell hit me like this guy smelled terrible. I don't even have, I mean, pungent, like I'm like going back to my vocab class on all the words for like the worst smelling person that I have ever smelled in my life. Like I will never forget the smell. I think sort of what we were talking about this just before we hit the record, it's that freeze flight or fight sort of response Yeah, and your brain's processing and like everything's on high alert. And I mean, there is the actual biological scientific process of, your body reacting. And like one of the things that happens with your senses is that they do go into like a hyper aware state of being so that your body can react and your mind can process it quicker because it knows that you're in this like very critical timeframe where you have to make that decision. Do you freeze? Do you fight? Or do you take flight? It was exactly like that. And so at that point, I realized like, this guy looks like a crazy guy. And he's clearly a homeless guy who's living at the beach, which is a problem in that area. Sure. 
lots of encampments and people. Seattle is notorious for that. It is. And I can't believe it's not more well known as a huge crisis. I feel like people sort of know about it, but it's not until you're, you actually see it. It's the same thing with going to Portland and you actually see like how big the encampments are and where they are. Yeah. That you're like, and that oh, it's wow, on this the street. is a problem. Like that it's okay. Like right. they could just live, literally just set up a camp on the street. So now I'm realizing like high alert, <laughs> high alert. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, you're just like, I need to do something right now. Yes. So he came at me like a bear, like with both arms and threw me to the ground. And just the first thing out of my mouth, I just yelled, not today, mother effer. I don't know what your language policy is here. Oh no, it's totally fine. I'm an ER nurse. Are you kidding me? Be authentic. So the first thing out of my mouth was, not today, motherfucker! And I went crazy. I went completely batshit. Like, I was going to kill... I told him, I was like, I will fucking kill you! It's like you versus him, and I'm going to walk out of here. Yes. Like, I was pissed. And I'm sure you can relate to this. Like, I'm a year and a half sober. I'm out here running 10 miles in the 38-degree weather with the wind blowing in the rain, trying to run this marathon. I'm trying to better my life. It took me so long to get to that point. And this guy thinks he's going to come in here. You asshole. Like, seriously. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. How dare you? (laughs) I was enraged. I was totally enraged. And I will say, like, the fact that I had an older brother who, like, picked on me, you know, not, he didn't abuse me. (laughs) No, but he does older brother (laughs) stuff. I totally get that. Where they, throw you into a wall. Exactly. what the hell? And it's for no reason. Or they, like... Yeah. Yep. No, yes. I yes. Yes. I've been like thrown around a lot. And so when I was thrown down, he like got on top of me on my back and I was, I, he was going to rape me. And I was absolute, I was like willing to die to not let that happen. So I started throwing my elbows backwards and it did not, they weren't landing. He had like this puffy coat. It wasn't, it, and it was really kind of like, oh man, like, I'm screwed, you know? And so I just scrambled like hell. We went under the doors to the large stall where he was, where he had been hiding. And I was able to kind of like get off my, like, it was like my vagina was running away from him. Like I was keeping, (laughs) I was keeping the lower part of, I just wanted as far away from him as possible. So I was able to kind of like scurry the lower half of my body away from him and get on my side. And I clawed him in the face. And that was like the first glimmer of hope I had because he kind of winced. He didn't talk at all. He didn't make a sound this whole time. It was like so much as a grunt, like zero, like silent film. It was eerie and i'm screaming you know bloody murder basically I'm, I'm like you're hoping somebody's gonna like run in there and like help you out or something yeah and i i even remembered i was like i remember running by that lady with a dog about a quarter mile ago like she should maybe she'll hear me yeah and, and if um, she wasn't gonna come in at least maybe she'll call somebody or exactly. like flag down someone one maybe her dog will come in one would hope there were so many those were great options that she did not think of those but that's okay um we'll get to that so so I was in there for a total of eight minutes and we're fighting like it's fist to face. And it's I like the longest eight minutes of your life. Yeah. And you probably know that now because I mean, you probably knew it afterwards because you're a guard. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I did. Like, you knew the time. Yeah. Um, I was on Dr. Oz and they like got into my data with like where my heart rate, like, like you can see where I thought I was going to die. It was, it's crazy. Like all like too much data. Like I'm glad that we're able to have this discussion and we could talk about the past because you well you know a lot of women especially don't have that outcome that you did 
Absolutely. And it's not that they didn't do the right thing. You can do everything right. And that's the way it's going to turn out. Like this guy was 5'11 and like 135 pounds. Like this guy is not that much bigger than, than me. I mean, I'm bigger than him, really. There's no guarantees, you know? People probably said something along the lines like, what is it people always say? Like, that's the right place at the wrong time, which I always think is complete bullshit. You could be doing all the right things and it's that person that makes the wrong choice. Exactly. Like, it's the other person. Don't ever say, oh, you were at the right place at the wrong time. It's like, no, you were probably at the right place at any given time and it's the wrong person who walked in. Exactly. I like what you mentioned about how your brain... Like I felt like Jason Bourne, like my brain was like four steps ahead the whole time. I was able to scurry from the larger stall into like this middle stall. I don't know how I got there. I've been back there. It's like, I don't know how I fit under there, but your body just becomes very... You get that adrenaline surge. I mean, it's literally a biological response where you, once your mind shifts from like, oh, we're doing something about it, it stays committed to the whole thing. Yes. Until you no longer can keep going physiologically, you will literally exhaust everything in your body. It's it's amazing because I, I work in the hospital side of things, but it's amazing some people who come in who are eerily calm and can describe things to you or eerily calm after a major like bone breaker or something like that. Right. And it's because that body process is just like, okay, we need to just keep everything in check. And then once, once they feel that safety, it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> now the danger is over. Yeah. Now we can kind of like adrenaline surge drop and, and the come down can be a little bit difficult for people, but we'll definitely get to that. Yes, big time. When I got in that little stall, I thought I'll just lock the stall door and then like, I'll be in the little stall. He'll be on the outside. Like I didn't, I don't know what I was really thinking. I I don't know why I thought that worked, but I was on my back. And so I kicked the lock and I had so much adrenaline that when I kicked the lock, I jammed the the door into the frame. So the door wouldn't open or, or close. So I'm in this little tiny stall you just made like your space from being like i could run out of the exit to like now i'm in like a like a cell almost but i thought i could be in there alone because i was like he's not going to get in here well he did he got in the same way i did under this little Uh, wall that's like eight inches off the ground and he got on top of me and he was beating me up and i was starting to lose consciousness and i was like i am not going to die this way. (laughs) So I was able to get my hands on the other side of that jammed door. So one thing I did forget from self-defense was cover your face. So my face got really beat up, but I got my hands on the other side of that jammed door and I pulled myself out from under him. And I, I found this surge of adrenaline and I had this voice in my head and it was the same voice I've heard when I'm like a quarter mile from the finish of a half marathon when you're just totally spent and you have like nothing in the tank. And it was like, come on, Kel, you have got this. Do not quit. Go hard. And I did like the burpee of my life and got up to my feet. For anyone who hates doing burpees, this is one reason to do them, getting on your feet to save your life. And I got to my feet. I lunged for the door. The door opened and outside was the lady with the dog and two girls who were like 14 and they were just like ashen <laughs> like because they had no idea like are we about to hear like somebody taking their last last breaths or something right right yeah, yeah i mean and then they're just frozen there again it's the freeze they were frozen flight. like they were go frozen. into this situation and help someone out yep. so people who, yeah. who who run towards the danger like run towards the screaming or yes. the people who go and find shelter and then regroup and try and see how they can help out from a distance 
Yep. And I've been through the scenario many times. And like, so the lady with the dog didn't have the phone. The girls had a phone. They were like, should we call 911? <laughs> right. It's like all of your judgment gets weird. It's, it gets jumbled up in your brain, I guess. Like if you're, yeah. if you hear somebody screaming out for help, especially in today's the day and age, you're like, do I go in? If, if right. anything else, just call 911 and just like, yeah, be there so that you can be like, I'm at this in this spot. There's somebody yelling. I'm going to exactly. stay around the area just in case. And, yeah. and you know, no one's going to necessarily like, don't, I always say like, don't put yourself cause I do wilderness medicine too. So don't yeah. ever put yourself like in danger, you know, don't put your safety right. over somebody else's. It's that whole thing about when you, when they teach you about, you know, drowning cases is that sometimes people, when they flail, they'll try and take you down with them and you have to kind yeah. of like, you know, uh, brace or be prepared for that, but also have everything kind of in your brain and have all of your equipment and training and to, in order to like overcome that. And if you don't have that equipment, if you don't have that training, then don't let somebody else bring you down and you both end up drowning. Like, exactly. okay. You know, if you have to stay a distance away and you call for help, call for help, but yeah. don't do nothing. It's a whole bystander effect. Don't do nothing. I know I have significantly impacted those girls' lives. I mean, they're like graduating high school now, I think. So we called 911. I was able to give a really accurate description, which surprised me because I'm always like, how do people do that? Yeah, I'm always the worst with that. People go, people go all the time for patients. They're like, well, how tall do you think they are? And I always am like, mm, they're laying down. So I don't, I don't really know. Yeah. <laughs> But I've gotten so much better at it after doing this for years, but I still can't eyeball people by weight. And I, and I mean, yeah. if people are wearing big old things of clothes, snow pants, layers. I'm like, I really can't eyeball weight. Don't ask me this question. Well, I did think he was a lot bigger than, I mean, I thought this guy was the size of a refrigerator, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, he was not. So, and then a guy walked by and he had, are you okay? Cause my face, I was bleeding like profusely out of the face. I was like spitting sand and blood. I was like, and I was fired up. I was. Your adrenaline was still going. Like you were, you were still like in that whole, is the danger over? Because you probably didn't even realize it. Right. Very surreal. And he had like a beard and a backpack. And I was like, do you have a carabiner? Which is like one of those little clippy things that goes on a keychain. A lot of people don't know what they are. And he did because this guy was like, he was actually from Colorado. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's like part of the things they give you like your license, your license plate and a carabiner. And then exactly. <laughs> Yes. He was so yeah. nice. He was so, he was so, he was like really wanted to help. And he was like in tears. He was really upset. It was, it was very sweet. So he was just a bystander too. Yeah. And he had kind of come by after the incident. So the cops got there pretty fast. Actually, we carabinered the door. The guy never even tried to come out of the, that stall. Like the cops had to break down the stall door. Ooh, that's spooky. It's like once you were gone, he was just like, all right. It was very spooky. So he literally was just waiting. He was just waiting for... Yeah, and he just sat in there and he admitted he was in there with the intention to rape and he just kept saying, just kill me, just kill me, just kill me. I try not to go down rabbit holes and like say like, what if this, what if this? But like, I'm, and I was glad that we had locked him in there just in case. So yeah, that was kind of the incident itself. I did go to the emergency room. I was starving. I was, star I've never been so hungry in my life. I don't know what it is about like when your adrenaline does, it, it must, I use, I burned every calorie. I burned every calorie in my body. <laughs> It's crazy when you learn about your system responses on a on that like biological level because then it like explains a lot of the come down that people have where they're just like totally exhausted, the incident's over, 
a lot of times they like have to pee or use the bathroom. <laughs> and it's a lot of because of your body's systems. What it does is it kind of like, I guess the best way of saying is that it diverts like non-essential parts or things that it needs to monitor to going all in on the on what it needs to do. So it's like, that's how you get like, quote unquote, heightened senses is because your brain's obviously, you know, monitoring your whole entire body at any given time. But then like, when it gets into a situation where it needs to react real fast, it definitely is like, well, we don't need to necessarily focus on what's going on in your bladder yeah. or your gut right now. Right. So we're going to redirect that to making sure that, you know, you're, you're able to tap into what's going on all around you, like making sure that you can see better or not better, but like you can, you, you, it's crazy. Yeah. Like some people tell these stories where they're like, I've never ever had that, you know, felt that way before. And it's like, well, yeah, you tap into this part of your body's response where it's like, I'm not going to die today. And here's why. I didn't come down really for like a month. And I felt like I could see three seconds into the future. <laughs> like my People talk about it sometimes how um, they have like a traumatic event happen. And I mean, they've taught us sometimes that people don't come out of like that state for like weeks to sometimes months, like you're saying, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously you can't be like living at that state on a physiological level. You can't be like burning through all your adrenaline, but it definitely, people are like, oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't really come back to the real world for like a couple weeks. It's weird. And, and then the media blew up, you know, going viral. So I, I did interviews for 28 days. So did you go viral because of the attack or because of the Garmin? What do you think? Well, because, so... I posted the Instagram picture and then the next day. Which should we describe the, that too? I mean, sure. Yeah. And anyone can see it. I'm at run underscore Kiwi underscore run. So you had to stick with that whole handle the whole time. And I had just changed it a week before. <laughs> I like did it on a whim. <laughs> people are like they're like are you from New Zealand I'm like no I just no I just nope. do you like kiwis not particularly I mean this was very like but you're stuck with it now because you're like this is my brand I am it's my brand yes no I totally get that every time that I sometimes people ask me about my podcast I'm like I don't know why I named it the way I did but here we are right <laughs> <laughs> yeah and now it's my company logo too so uh, thank you for supporting and and buying the shirt. Oh, for sure. I'm putting all the links to everything. By the way, this is not oh, awesome. all SpawnCon. Like, this is not in any way, like, that sort of thing. I just really believe in this. Like, this is something that I totally... I appreciate I'm it. all about because, like I said, I've been running for a long time and I've gotten some close calls and yeah. I'm pretty sure... I don't know about much for men. I can only speak towards women. But, I mean, a lot of people have had their own, like, close calls in varying ways. Sure. Yours is like, it's horrible. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah. it's terrifying. It's horrible. And, and like we were saying before, the outcome could have absolutely been different. And you could have been on the news for something else, you know, yep. for, for being a statistic a in a way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but you were on the news for a different reason. And, and having like her logo is the actual t path or the actual yeah. tracking that happened. And you could see... And like she said, she was when she was on uh, Dr. Oz, you know, they actually broke down what was going on on her Garmin at those times. And that must have been trippy to see that because you just must have been like, oh, yeah, that's when I was uh, that's when I was doing that. And that's when I was doing that. <laughs> I don't off like I'm fine with talking about it and like the reliving it. I did a um, I did a 
a therapy called EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Oh, there's some really good podcasts about that. People out there, if you want to know more, hit me up because I have been listening to a lot of podcasts and doing more research on that because it's fantastic, phenomenal results from that. Yes. Especially if it's a one-time trauma. Yes. But when I looked at the bio data, I really felt like I was reliving it. Just looking at my heart rate, I was like, I could see, I was like, you're right there. Yep. So that was, that was weird. When the newspaper came out the next day, it said, and this happened in a neighborhood called Ballard. And it said, Ballard woman assaulted at Golden Gardens Beach is punched in the head five times and escapes or something to that effect. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Punched in the head five times. I was like, okay. Like, you know, you're like, I don't remember saying that. Like who, who did you guys talk to? I did remember saying that that was in the police report. They're like, how many times were you? I'm like, oh my God, I don't know. Five. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I wasn't counting. I'm sorry. Right. I called the news station that had done like a report on it. And I was like, I really wanted people to know that I had taken a self-defense class from Fighting Chance Seattle three weeks before my employer brought them in. Like I learned how to do this and other people need to prepare for the worst case situation because this is the world in which we are living. And I, I mean, we also live in a world full of really great, amazing, generous giving, caring people, but you know, we got to be prepared. I don't know how it went viral. I think, um, what's I am blanking the murder the podcast murder stay sexy don't get murdered (laughs) there's there's so many ones about murder yeah oh um uh, my favorite murder there it is thank you (laughs) I would have been really bad I didn't know thank you I was like I was like it's a very big podcast um (laughs) so yeah I think I was on that I you know kind of different places had reposted my post and so that sort of what made it go viral and then there was like a BuzzFeed one I think too that jumped on there there was a lot on BuzzFeed yeah and then this hate group out of North Carolina tried to use my story to promote a discriminatory bill against transgender people saying that basically you have to prove your gender before you can use a bathroom what yeah it was crazy people latch on to the strangest things for their platforms yep and they used my face and in their campaign to raise money and so this was like days after and i i lost it i lost it i lost it but i was happy to be an out like an ally for the transgender community and saying like this is bullshit and like one has absolutely nothing to do with the other (laughs) like this guy was not in the ladies room because it's legal to be in a late this wasn't the issue yeah like at the end of the day you're like this isn't even what are you guys talking about like did you read the (laughs) report did you read the articles right he wasn't going to be like oh it's not legal for me to be in this bathroom so i'm not going to be in there like he was in there with intent to do illegal things so and he knew that you know if he stayed in the women's bathroom that's where he would get somebody that he can overpower exactly and i'm i'm grateful that it was me and not like those two young girls you know it wouldn't have ended well so did the therapy i took some time off work i was able to use like my short term disability to recoup my job was great about letting me kind of come back to a different position because I was selling advertising to plastic surgeons and I didn't want to come back and like get into arguments about ROI, you know, like everything felt kind of like an attack for a while, even small things. Well, and you had some like actual physical stuff you had to recover from too. Yes. 
Yeah, I had a lumbar spine injury because I was fighting on a concrete floor. So I had a limp for like five months. I did continue training for the marathon until I just like, I burned out. I was like, what am I doing? It's a little too much to take on. And you're, you're like pretty new in your sobriety too, on top of it. Yes. And it, that was, I'd love I'll talk to you sometime about how. Yeah, we're going to come back to that because I yeah. have no idea about that part. Not even going to lie. And I was like, oh, wait, hang on. Yeah. Could you tell in the middle of this episode, I was like, oh, 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 hang on. I yeah. want to come back to that. But yeah, we'll, we'll definitely yeah. have some follow up on that for sure. Yeah. So yeah, it was a long journey back, but I did run the, I did run, I changed my marathon to run from my original one that was scheduled in June to October because I needed to recover. And it was, it was hell. I did run, I ran it. I ran it with my mom, but like that was, Oh, I finished it, but geez. That sounds like me after my first marathon. I was like, okay, we're done. I don't ever have to do that. I never wanted to do it again. And then I've done it twice since. Yeah, I don't. Me too. I don't understand. Well, anymore. once I was like, I I couldn't go out like that. And I actually. Do. Yeah, I think that's the reason why yeah. I was like, really? Like, I, I got really excited that I finished it. And then like two months later, I was like, that was a horrible time. Yeah. I could do much better than that. Right. I was like, I could basically like, I just knew, I just knew I had it in me again. So. Right. Um, and I'm glad I did. I'm really glad I did. And I thought when I finished Chicago, I like, this is sort of a, something that happens to people who are traumatized is you have this deadline in your mind for when you're going to be better. Like if I do this, then I'm going to be better. And um, I think it's because people treat it as if it's almost like a broken bone or a sprained ankle. Like, you know, that there's timelines for, for that sort of healing. So you almost want to say it's the same thing. Like, you know what, I'll give it another month or something and then I should be good and I'll start doing this and this again. Yeah. And I mean, it's not just, and it's like all trauma. You you feel like if I can just set the time up and, and we're good after this, then I'll be good. Yep. Not um, realizing like, you're going to deal with this for a lifetime. Totally. And it was so frustrating because I was like, I thought I could just kind of make this list. Like I'm going to go outside every day. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to, you know, try to socialize once a week, which was really challenging. And then you think you're getting better and then you're not like you, yeah. you're, you're better. It's like grief. It's like, you know, Oh, totally. You and that's what I was going to say is like, it's that whole, well, in a way you are, you're, it, and I say it like this, you're grieving the loss of the person you once were. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's totally like that. Yes. And people don't realize that you don't have to have a physical loss of somebody or, or anything to go through the grief process. Yeah. Um, you can, let go of a relationship and go through the, the grief process, be it romantic or a friendship or something happens to you and you, you survive it and people go, you are so much stronger for it. And then you get home and you're like, but I'm not the person I once was. Right. And you grieve that loss. I talk to people sometimes about how I can look at photos and, you know, time hop or whatever, or Facebook memories. And I look at photos of myself from five, 10 years. Well, I don't want to say 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> five years ago. And I'm like, that's a completely different person than who I yeah. am. And, and in some ways I'm jealous of that, of her, like of that past person. Yeah. Cause I'm like, God, you were so carefree and you were such this, this and this, but then I'm like, but then I wouldn't be who I am now. Right. And I don't totally. know if, if I would have learned the things that I've had to, if I didn't go through that. Exactly. So it's like, you don't wish a traumatic event on anybody, but how they react to it can definitely 
put the put the path towards something better that you would have yeah. never seen, which is what you're on basically now. Yeah. Like, you would have never thought in two years time you'd be on the cover of Runner's World. No. <laughs> Absolutely never. not. I still don't know if I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, wait, wait, wait. I was what? like, did you guys make this just for, like, did you make this? Is this my, like, you is know how you can. my personal copy? Can yeah. On my coffee table? Yeah. Even my mom was like, so is this the edition that will actually is be circulating? Is this someone selling? Is this yeah. the video edition? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's been a crazy ride. And I don't know, you know, I don't know. Well, I guess what's, I mean. There's a documentary. We made a documentary. I made a. Doc, I didn't make it. Runners World made a documentary um, that is about my story and the stories of Wendy Martinez um, and Molly Tibbetts, and yeah. um, it's really moving. And uh, I'm not sure. We don't know what the distribution is going to look like yet, as far as where you'll be able to see it um, or when. But hopefully, it'll be you know in the fall. Uh, I don't know. So you, you've had this happen. You're, you're physically recovering from it. You're, you're still, you know, getting, getting through it in the best way you can while still maintaining, you know, your life and, and what, what's important to you. How do you get from that point to where you are now? Like, how did everything start with, you know, your not today motherfucker becoming a big thing? Like, how did that catch steam? Because the story, is un is, is incredible but then it's like but then there's the after part and that's what i think people need to realize is like you can't come back from this yeah it's not just business as usual i yeah. did go back to work i don't know what i was thinking they were like go home yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go, well, who, what are you trying to prove yeah it's you're Take, take some time yeah. and i did but one of the things from like going viral was i was getting it felt like thousands of messages that said, not today, motherfucker needs to be a t-shirt. And it was really stressing me out because I was like, I'm traumatized. The media is like on my digital front porch and people are blowing me up with messages faster than I can ever read them. And I felt guilty for not responding to all of them because if someone's coming to me with something like, oh, this happened to me or, you know, oh, you're so strong. Like, thank you. Like, I felt obligated. <laughs> There's a sense of like vulnerability that re with them telling you their story. Yes. I mean, with you telling your story, you you can keep healing, but uh, totally. But you, I always talk about that with people too, with if we all share our struggles, we all realize that we're not so different. Like just even people think, you know, so-and-so has it all together. And then it's like, well, no, <laughs> they also are human. So, so you must've just been inundated and been like, okay, I need to do something with this because there's a need for it. I was. And the company that I worked for real self, we, they always had, I loved the company t-shirts that they would give us. They were always like really soft. And I, I, it had the company logo, but I would wear them just casually because I just love the shirts. So they were like, what can we do to help? Like, how do we, how can we best support you? And I was like, I know this is silly, but like, I need t-shirts that say not today, motherfucker. And then like, let's sell them and give the proceeds to, and since the company was like, it's about plastic surgery and aesthetics, I said, um, let's find an organization that you know, is kind of in line with this whole thing. And so I found a company or an organization called Face Forward LA, and they provide 
pro bono surgical care to victims of cruel acts of crime or survivors of cruel acts of crime from everything from whether they're a veteran or, you know, they were just severely beaten, you know, or a case like mine where they became you know, in need of surgery, because I cut I cut my head open on the bottom of the bathroom stall door. And I hated looking at that scar every day. It was like a keloid scar. I mean, the, the ER doctor did an amazing job stitching me up. I didn't have the and I used to be working skincare and I couldn't even like put Vaseline on it every day. Like I totally, I had no, I was lucky to take a shower every four days at that point. Like you just really fall apart. Like, <laughs> so the scar was really bad and I was able to get um, different kinds of lasers and injections to minimize the scar. And as it started to disappear, I felt better because, you know, you look in the rearview mirror of your car or whatever, and you see that thing staring back at you, and it's like, fuck you. You know, like, yeah. and it's like you're right back to that place. Yeah. Yeah. Just even in mental, or sometimes even, you know, going through trauma, you could physically be right back to that place. Yeah. So I knew how healing that was. And so I wanted to give back to, I wanted to give back to an organization that did that for others. And, and I still don't, I still donate proceeds uh, to Face Forward. So yeah, that's how the shirts came to be. Was it that original design too? That's. Yeah. It's exactly my GPS and everything. And I love that it, a conversation starter, you know, like even when I wear it, it's like, Oh, what's this about? And sometimes I'll like have to talk about it in the third person um, because uh, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, because you're like, I'm the one wearing it. It happened to me. Hello. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it starts those conversations. It shares my story and it shares the important, like what I hope people are talking about is like, this girl took a self-defense class three weeks before she was attacked and she survived. And this is the intensity of her struggle. And this is her not giving up. Like that's the message that I want people to hear. And I want them to think, Oh, I've been meaning to take a self-defense class. It's like, yeah, it can happen to you too. So, so yeah, the shirts are still around. Um, I did recently come out with a non-profane version after like two years. People were like, I can't wear this to my kid's school. I'm like, okay, fine. Like I'll do it. So yeah, I've got the shirts and I do, you know, I talk to different running groups and I think when the movie comes out, I'll be doing different screenings and I'm working on a book. So there's a lot. I did, once I went, I, once I kind of left the corporate world, um, I haven't had like a strong burning desire to go back to, you know, working in an office from nine to five and sitting in traffic. My, my perspective of life has changed and uh, I want to spend my time doing things that make me happy, even if they're, you know, even if I'm, I'm not making a ton of money. It's just like my quality of life is important. I've fallen in love since this happened as, as a direct result of sharing my story. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like totally possible to keep going. And- yeah. Things I never thought, and I did not think that was possible. Like I thought I was, des- I was depressed. I was depressed for a year until basically until we went to court and I got to face my attacker and give my victim impact statement and he was sentenced and I I finally felt happiness again that day. Because now that chapter is closed. Yes. And then actually I was going to have to go back every three years to plead before the board that he stay in jail and he ended up dying in prison. So when that happened, I truly feel free. Like he doesn't have a pull over you anymore. Exactly. Or anyone. He's not going to harm anyone. In my heart, I do not believe that he was rehabilitatable. 
Sure. I mean, if he was, if he was among the population and he had that desire to assault a woman, like I'm pretty sure the whole rehabilitation part of him previously having been incarcerated didn't do its job. (laughs) Exactly. And after my story went viral, a girl found me on Instagram and she's like, that same guy attacked me a month ago and I got away. So somewhere out there, there was probably a report about that, I would assume. She hadn't reported it, so I made sure that she reported it. You know, shortly after all this happened, you had another incident during a race, which like really threw me off because I was like, wait, wait a second, that's supposed to be the safe space. Exactly. And that's I loved. That's why I loved racing. I was like, it's out in public. But yeah, I ran a half marathon last October and... I was having amazing, like, it was a great race. I was training for the Honolulu Marathon. So it was a training race. Um, Every mile was perfect, like perfect. You can ask, like, there are some of those races where you're just like flying. It was beautiful. I was so happy. And I was um, at mile 12.25. So you were right there. You were getting it done. could hear the finish line almost. But um, yeah, this was in the Pacific Northwest. So these ra- it was a women's race. So they're smaller races. This is not the, the, you know, people are like, how could that happen? It's like, well, this isn't the New York Marathon. This is like a no. <laughs> hundred women yeah, like over 30. Usually like a capped race or something. Yeah. But this kind of creeper was on the side of the road and I just run up a pretty significant hill. And he looked at me with a smile on his face. And I was like, do I know this person? Like, this is weird. And so he's just grinning. And then he just grabbed my, he like ran up and grabbed my ass. And I was like, what the, you know, like, and I was in shock and I turned around and he looked at me and started to smirk. And I was like, Oh, hell no. Cause I was like, should I finish the race? I was annoyed, but I was having this great race. Like, do I finish? And so I just spun around on my heels and I just chased him down and I just started screaming assault, assault, like until, um, and I had to run back down that hill, which was really annoying. It's true. Cause, I mean, <laughs> but, you just got up and you're like, I don't have to ever see this hill again. And then you're like, damn it. <laughs> And um, I saw someone kind of knocked him down. And so I was like, all right, like, I don't know what more I'm going to do. You know, so I finished the race. I reported it at the finish line and he had been apprehended and I filed a police report. They were like, do you want to file? Or I was like, I absolutely do. Because, well, one, you know, I turned around because there was, who knows, maybe 50, 100 more women behind me. What's going to stop him from doing this again? And then also, these are the kinds of crimes that escalate. You know, it's like people don't just start stealing cars. They start out with candy or whatever it is. It's important to start building that record. And like my initial assailant was sentenced. They look at like how many convictions are in your past. So even if it's a small conviction, like for for this guy in the second incident, it was assault four. But he was off. He was you know, he was locked up for a month and now he has a record. It should give pause for people if they're able to look up criminal backgrounds on people that they're like, is this a person that, you know, we want to employ or is this a person that, you know, it follows that person and it should, for most people, it should impact them accordingly. um, If they're that kind of person, I know some people, you know, get wrongfully, whatever for people like this, it's like, yeah, you should have a paper trail. You should be able to see that this is, a behavior that just did not happen. This is a pattern. This is something that they've gotten away with, or they have had a history of having to do time for. Yeah. We, uh, well, at work, you know, we, we do get assaulted by patients. And I used to actually, when I first started out in the ER, I got punched by a patient and I got told to suck it up. This is like what you sign up for. 
And then there's been a bigger shift because a lot of healthcare providers are being assaulted at work, being assaulted in parking garages, being stalked, being killed by patients. You're not safe per se. You're now encouraged to like file charges against these people. Yes, it's not part of the job. Part of the job is going home to your family. Part of the job for you being and existing and running and being able to do things that, you know, you like is being able to go home at the end of it. Right. Like that's, that's quote unquote, part of the job. And no one should take that away from you. And no one should have the power to do that. You need to, you need to hold people accountable. You need to establish that this is a pattern so that people, hopefully, like you said, maybe this, this is the thing that stop something else from happening. Right. And that's what the runner's world piece is really all about. Like the runner's alliance, like 84% of women have been harassed or assault or assaulted while running. And it's like, yeah, we let these little things go, a little ass grab, you know, or Pack calls out the window. I've been, exactly. I've been spit on by people. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and the weird thing is because you run, you could run on a trail and not see anybody. And then you do a quick run in the city thinking it's a quick run. It's fine. And that's where you encounter more danger than a trail run where people are like, there's bears up there. You're like, listen, bears aren't necessarily going to like harass me. <laughs> They're going right. to act out of like natural defense mechanisms. Right. People on the street who roll down their window and follow me for a good mile are more concerning. Like that's yes. more concerning to me. Yep. And I mean, it is, it's, I think you can talk to pretty much like any woman who's been running for a decent amount of time. And I say that as in like, you know, maybe even like a couch to 5k person um, mm-hmm. who's doing it, not just outdoors. This happens indoors. This happens in gyms. I mean, yeah. there's gross people who line up behind you on a treadmill and like yeah. come up and, and they approach you and you're like, I don't know you. What do you, why right. is this okay? Like, <laughs> like, don't talk to me. Like, yeah. I'm in my zone. I'm trying to like listen exactly. to something and, and zone out while I'm doing this workout. I will yeah. come up to you while you're working out. Why are you coming up to me? And, yeah. and I think people just figure that's just culture. It's whatever. Just like, let it go. But again, it's like, no, you, you can't let it go. Cause this is what yeah. can happen is, People can do stuff like this or God forbid, you know, the the other unfortunate outcome of people getting killed and murdered by people. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Molly Tippett's story came out right when I was like doing some sort of trail run and my family like reached out to me because I, at that time I didn't use trackers. Like I don't, Uh like I like um, having road IDs tracker right now. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Cause it sends out like emails and text messages to people when you start and stop and it sends a map out to them and you could put down, you know, I estimate I'll be done in this amount of time. And if you're not, it sends out something. So I like that there's trackers like that, but I never, I never used it. And then that whole thing came out about Molly Tibbetts yeah. and my family was like, please do something because I, I travel solo. I mean, it's part of being a travel nurse and it's like, I don't run with like a dog. I don't have a dog. But even if I had a dog, could that save me in a situation? Can't bank on it. Right. So you do, you have to have like the self-defense stuff. And I know that there's more runner specific self-defense courses out there too. Maybe we can close on that. I've taught a couple. There's, I mean, I, in, in those, I mean, the, the basic principles are all the same, but like one of the things that I teach is like, what if I'm, people always want to know what if I'm grabbed from behind. And so um, there's, you know, different things you can do, but it's, 
it's mainly, it's 90% awareness. <laughs> I, like I use Aftershocks, bone conduction headphones. The ones that actually, for people who don't know, they actually sit in front of your ears on the actual, the like ridge or the bone, the bone part so that you can still hear your music, but then it leaves your ears. So you're not actually putting in something to affect your actual hearing. Yeah, it's great. Kind of weird for a little bit yeah. when you're trying them out because you're like, wait, they don't go in my yeah. ears <laughs> in front of them. And then once you get used to like that whole thing yeah. and, and where they sit and how to hear and navigate with that, it really does change stuff. I don't use those personally, um, but I do a lot of the one earbud thing. Yes. Yep. And I do tend to play things lower volume anyways. Sometimes I just put on earphones so people don't talk to me. So Right. <laughs> So it's not that I don't know what's going on around me. It's just that I don't necessarily want somebody interrupting me while I'm trying to not die <laughs> running four miles. Exactly. So yeah, it's really about that safety and yeah, letting someone know where you're going. And what, the big takeaway I had from self-defense the first time was like, show your attacker that you're not afraid. And it doesn't mean you're not afraid, but it will give them pause, you know, let them know they picked the wrong person and that you're going to fight. So scream at them, not today, motherfucker. Exactly. Or whatever comes out, you know, like whatever lives in you. Yeah, that's what that's what lives in me. <laughs> and people are afraid to think about scary things, but it's only by thinking about them. You know, your body cannot go where your mind has not been. So you need to think through those situations and you go to that self-defense class, be insecure, be worried that you're not throwing a, a pretty punch. Like it's okay. <laughs> like it's a non-judgmental place. And I would much rather do it in a safe environment than be like, okay, now it's the real thing. And I've never thrown a punch in my life. I'm just going to wing it. Like adrenaline is great and survival instinct is great. But like, if you have that knowledge of self-defense to rely on, then you're going to be a lot more effective. It's true. I mean, it's like with anything, if you practice it, or at least you give yourself those scenarios in your head, like what would I do in this situation? You're at least training your body to be a little bit more aware and heightened in going into any situation. That's why people train so much. I mean, honestly, that's why, you know, for us, at least in the medical profession, you have to keep your skills pretty sharp every two years. Yep. And whether or not you used it in the past two years is a whole thing, but you have to keep at it. I, I think that's maybe a big thing too, with self-defense is that taking one class is great, but maybe if you've taken one class and it was five years ago, maybe sign up for another class. Absolutely. Yeah, you've got to refresh. And when I was in the incident, like, I wasn't re like flashing back to the class, I was flashing back to like teaching people after the class, I was remembering like teaching other girls like we this is how we learn to strike. And like, those were the things coming back to me before we started the, the interview, we talked, talked a little about um, the stop bleed. My big goal for 2019 for people who are listening is I want people to get out of their comfort zone and take a CPR class. Um, there's plenty that the Red Cross do throughout every community for the most part. And the same with the Stop the Bleed classes. Those are a little bit harder to find some places if you live in more rural areas. If you can take it, take it because there's nothing, and it's like self-defense, there's nothing I think that empowers you more than knowing you have these skills within you to help somebody else out in this situation or to help yourself out with self-defense. Yeah, I took both those classes and like, I felt so much I, after leaving Stop the Bleed, so many of the things I had worried about, and this was actually right after the Las Vegas massacre, you know, like being in that situation, like, I can't, I can't imagine the feeling of 
helplessness, you know, like, and I am someone who runs towards the screams and the gunfire. <laughs> like, that's my... You're the ones that, like, Mr. Rogers talks about, look for the helpers. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm I'm wired that way, but you're, you're not going to be helpful if you don't know what to do. So Stop the Bleed was really, really good for that. And, um, and then I've always, you know, the CPR class, I've... I've, I've never learned, but after being in a situation where being prepared helped me save my life, like I want to be prepared to help save other people's lives too. And um, I highly recommend both those courses. Um, I paid for my CPR class, but I, I took half of like, I took the majority of it online and then did the, you know, compressions. CPR classes, that's true. There are a couple of things nowadays where they have online stuff. I always take it through my work, so maybe I'm spoiled. Well, and people should talk to their employers too. Sometimes they'll bring it in if there's enough interest. There are people that are instructors who who go around and they ask other people like, hey, do you want me to come to your workplace and do like a, a three or four hour class for people? And they'll do like two sessions. And at the end of the day, you know, you have 30 people leaving their workplace with skills that they didn't have coming in when they clocked in. Exactly. It's amazing. And it's not like, I mean, it's hopefully you never have to use it. I mean, these are skills that you're hopeful, like self-defense, you never have to use. But on the off chance you need to use them, you are like, I, I know what to do. I know what to do. And that's, I guess, what saved your life, right? Absolutely. Do you have any final thoughts? Glad you had me as a guest. And I hope this inspires someone to say like, all right, all right, I'll go do it. I'll take the class. Maybe I'll do Stop the Bleed and CPR too, just because why not? <laughs> like we could save so many lives, including our own, just by having these skills that are available. And like for you know, human resources, people like, all right, bringing in Taco Tuesday, everyone loves a Taco Tuesday. But like, think of how that money could be spent to actually empower and potentially save the lives of your employees. And for group events, like that is team building, taking self-defense. It's fun. It's fun. You will leave laughing. You will leave empowered. You will feel better. And so these are things that people should do for themselves and for each other. It's true. And those are safe environments to do it. Yeah. I mean, those are the those are the environments where you can ask the questions and receive the proper teaching from people who know what they're talking about. Yep. And it's it's such a great environment to do it. I can't talk about it enough. Where can people find you? Where can they get in touch with you? My website is nottodaymf.com and I'm on Instagram run underscore kiwi underscore run. And then I have a Facebook page as well not today ntmf and i'll be posting as the movie comes out and there's any kind of events i'll be keeping all of those channels i guess i i'm on twitter too at run kiwi run that's how i found you we're bearing the lead on that one and i'll make sure that that there are awesome. links to everything definitely going to make sure that that's yeah. in the show notes kelly's super awesome she's super approachable um even via yeah. the interwebs she's been nothing Same. but lovely so <laughs> <laughs> um so this has been a very informative interview for for me for just on a personal level as being a, a runner that's female that runs a lot solo for me to take stock and maybe changing some of my own habits so i hope anybody who's listening out there has that little little seed maybe planted for themselves or for a loved one to maybe check in on them or suggest that they they might look at the NTMF literature there and hopefully, you know, going into 
next year because we are at the tail end of 2019. Maybe making that part of your New Year's goals is to take classes and and to become more empowered going into next year. Maybe becoming a little bit more aware of your surroundings and and what you can do to help other people and help yourself, I think would be a good takeaway from from our interview today. Absolutely. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you, Kim. Have a great day.